providing information that's going to help them kind of build their frame of reference, build their understanding on where you're coming from and what you've done. Uh, an example of this is the reporting relationship. So tell the truth, provide the details around what you're actually accomplishing. And if you can do a good job of giving your audience a very clear sense of here's where I fit within the organization. Look, here's how we made this happen. Here was the problem. Here was my role in it and where I fit within the team. Here's how we created those results. And, and these are the outcomes. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the How to Get a Job podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about executive recruiting. We're going to talk about how to break into those VP, C-level roles, director roles that we all dream of so that we can maximize our career, maximize our income. And to talk about this, I have Ryan Dickerson, and he is an executive career coach with massive experience on helping and recruiting for those C-level roles that we all want to essentially think about our career getting there. And we want to kind of like talk about that. Like, what is the main difference to trying to get those types of jobs versus getting more of a mid a job like a manager or a director. So Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Ryan, man. Well, thanks again. I know we've been kind of chatting before, like we recorded the podcast and look, you have such an awesome experience. I, I had come across your, your LinkedIn profile and I was like, man, we got to get this guy on the show. Talk about how do you even break into a C-level role, right? How do you even do that? So that my first question to you. Yeah, absolutely. The what I've seen is that people get into their C-suite roles, their you know senior leadership roles, really by earning it over a long time. Uh, most of the people that I work with have gotten to their C-suite positions after being with the same company for like a decade, right? And often when you're in a Fortune 500 or even a Fortune 100 company, working your way up and building trust within the organization when you're steering potentially a multi-billion dollar organization seems to kind of be how it happens. Folks just have to earn their way up. You know, I, the reason why I think this uh, doing this episode is really interesting to me because I was it's thinking about how like the corporate pyramid works and how the further you get up, the less and less opportunities there is for you to to get to that next level, right? So there's only one CEO, generally speaking. And then from there, you have your C-suite. Uh, and then from there, you have, um, it, it goes lower and lower. So when you're in the C-suite, you're maybe there's eight of you there, maybe more. You, only one of you can get promoted to the CEO, right? Or if you're like, so I think a lot about that, like what makes the difference, right? Because even um, as if you're listening to this, you're like, hey, Daniel, like I can't not relate to this. Like I'm nowhere there. I think about like, what are those major differences? What makes someone get to that level versus someone that does the same job, gets stuck as a director or as a manager? I think, I think it really comes down to expertise and mastery of the skill sets that you're going to be working on. If you're thinking through, how do I go from right out of school all the way to becoming a CEO of a large established company, there are going to be a whole bunch of things that you have to be an expert at before you can move to each level. And so thinking about, you know, let's just say that you make it to being a director, you know, and, and you've got, you're a manager of managers, you've got a relatively large team, you're going to have to be good at the function that you're managing in the first place, then you're going to have to develop skills around people management, hiring and developing and, and retain, retaining people. From there, right, you're going to need to figure out how do I manage up and how do I manage horizontally. And so each step along the way, at least in my experience, folks have earned the mastery and then taken on that next level and kind of gotten to the point where they hit some sort of ceiling. 
The, the other interesting piece, thinking about CEO versus C-suite, is that the C-suite is normally exceptionally specialized. So if you're a ch chief accounting officer or a chief data officer, or a chief information officer, your core skill sets are going to be very different from somebody who might matriculate into a CEO role. And so if you're trying to think through, okay, I'm at the beginning of my career, how do I begin to advance and get up into a role that I'm going to be proud of and I'm going to leave a mark on the world? The way that I would think about it is get exceptionally good at your core function, whatever it is you're hired to do at the moment, work on that, and then begin to master the things that your manager does. And if you can work your way through those skills and prove that you're calm and capable under pressure, you're achieving good outcomes and achieving good results. And ideally, if you're keeping a little bit of track of that along the way, it makes it a lot easier to go to market and help people be aware that you might be the talent they're looking for. Yeah, I think I, I love that because you're right. I, you know, to be the chief uh, information officer, you have to be so specific in, in on that craft. And that might be the top of your career. That You might not be built to go to the CEO level, which is more of a generalist role, um, where like, you know, a chief human resource officer or a chief financial officer, those are very specific craft roles that, you know, takes decades to be able to build the expertise, to be able to manage like human resources for a, a company that has hundreds of thousands of employees. And, um, and so I think that's really interesting. So in your experience, because you, you were, so you had, you, when I was looking at your profile, you were a senior associate executive recruiter at Cornfair, which is one of the most uh, respective companies when it comes to hiring C-level executives. You were mentioning that you work with CTOs and CIOs. So companies are hiring you, and I think uh, hiring your Corn Ferry and, and you in this scenario to go find that C level executive. What is the mindset that you're looking for? Where do you go look? Um, do, do you look at resumes? Like, what's the biggest difference from that from a traditional role? Sure. So let's just say that we're trying to identify, you know, a chief information officer for a Fortune 100 company. We would need to essentially start right by understanding what does the company need, right? What what are the what is the very expensive problem that they're actually solving for? At Corn Fair, the way that we would do this is we'd have a senior partner and then a researcher and an associate like me either fly out or have a series of meetings with these folks to get a sense of who they are, right? And understand the skills that they're looking for in this executive, the experiences that are going to build kind of that pattern of confidence that we'd be looking for. And then we'd want to understand the drivers and traits, right? What kind of culture the organization has and what's going to motivate the people there. And every company has a different portfolio of those kind of four things. What I came to find, especially at Corn Fairy, is that you cannot force a good fit. There's just no way around it. And so when we're going out to find the single best person on earth for that role, which is what these companies were hiring us for, you have to you know, be very broad and extensive. So starting with the database, which is something that is very kind of coveted being within the Corn Fairy or Spencer Stewart or Russell Reynolds or Egon Zender database, right? Which is something that you can do and you can submit your own application for now. But starting there is where we would find the base pool of candidates. From there, it would be LinkedIn recruiter. It would be the network of people that we knew, kind of the known quantities in the space. And we would try to exhaust, right? The, the list of Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 companies, identifying each individual strategically at those companies that we could poach and bring into that new organization. So in terms of being you know, in the search and finding the right person, awareness is the first challenge, right? The search firms, the partners, they just need to know that you exist. 
from there, speaking their language, right? Providing information that's going to help them kind of build their frame of reference, build their understanding on where you're coming from and what you've done. Uh, an example of this is the reporting relationship. So thinking through what's the title of your manager? And I know this isn't something that most people put on their resume, but I like to start things with, you know, reporting to the chief executive officer. And as one of the partners at Corn Ferry used to share, nobody can hide from an org chart. So when you're thinking through how to give somebody context and make sure that they know that you might be a good fit, tell them where you fit. Tell them what you're responsible for. Give them a sense of how many people you lead and manage. And then talk through what you've actually accomplished, right? Because the, the end of the day, people are hiring because they have big, expensive problems. And these expensive problems are normally kind of really difficult for anyone to solve. And so they need to have a high level of confidence that whoever they're interacting with, whoever they're hiring, is going to give them a good return on investment and will help them solve whatever big, difficult problem that they're dealing with today. Man, Ryan, you should share there. Like, I'm looking at this from two perspectives. I'm one, I'm thinking about what the individuals that you're listening to this that are maybe like, you know, five years into their career what they can start doing today to really set them up for success in the future. But I'm also thinking about those individuals who have been with the company 10, 15 years, who feel like they deserve a shot there, but they maybe feel like they're being overlooked and what they can do to do that. And I want to unpack a little bit about this, what you're just sharing. Some of the things I took away and I want to dive a little deeper uh, um, is one, it seems to me that you're not just posting these jobs and indeed, like you first said, Hey, I'm going to go to the database that is really protected. Kind of like, that's kind of like their competitive advantage that Corn Ferry has. Like we have this database of all the CFO, CTOs of the fortune 500 companies, or even companies related in the industry that we need to find. And that you're poaching the talent. It's like, you're not waiting for them to, okay, here's the indeed or apply on our LinkedIn. It's not happening when you get to those levels. Like these are all like, Go in and find the people that can do the job and be like, hey, we'll make it worth your while if you come over. Oh, and I mean, beyond that, right? If we find the person, we normally couldn't tell them what company we're hiring for, nor the job. And so you're essentially knocking on their door and saying, hey, I have this job that's going to be great for you, but I can't tell you who it's with. I can't tell you the title. I can't tell you anything until you sign all these NDAs. And so, yeah, I mean, if you are that early career person, let's say that you're five years into your professional life. And to qualify this a little bit, you're going to have to be in a corporate role, kind of in a, in a normalized company, ideally something that's a few hundred employees up to the largest companies. Um, what you want to do is, is kind of do your homework early. And I think this can be a really simple exercise that helps you, I don't know, kind of do a, an accounting of where you stand or a little you know check-in every once in a while. But if you can just every year or so get a list together of here's the title of my boss, Here's the title of my peers that also report to my boss, kind of to get a sense of where the handoffs are. Then here are my direct reports, or if you don't have any direct reports, talk about the team that you work with. So think about who are the people that you interface with day to day. So maybe you're in marketing, right? And you're in a marketing coordination role. You're going to deal with the, the creative team. You're going to deal with the analytics and the audience management teams. Just keeping a little bit of a record of here's where I fit. Then you want to think about what are the really basic qualifications or what are your responsibilities? Uh, set a different way. Why did they hire you? And what sort of return on investment are, is the company expecting out of your salary? And then the last piece, if you're willing to kind of very much so be proactive, is keep track of the big projects you are working on. And some of the details that people tend to overlook when they're keeping track or building this journal of their accomplishments is what was the problem you were trying to solve in the first place? 
How are you trying to relieve that pain? So is this a technology solution? Are you designing or inventing some sort of new thing? Are you outsourcing something, right? Give a little bit of context around it. And then once you've got a sense of how you're trying to solve this and what you're trying to solve, talk through the actual results. And this is where things kind of get scary for a lot of folks, because if, if you don't really have measurable results to share, it becomes really difficult to have that very compelling resume story. And so tell the truth, provide the details around what you're actually accomplishing. And if you can do a good job of giving your audience a very clear sense of here's where I fit within the organization, here's what I'm responsible for, here are the big projects that I've worked on, here's how we did the work, and here are the measurable outcomes, makes it a lot easier for people to just kind of get it and have a good understanding of where you're coming from. Right. And, and I think because when you get to those levels, like it's such a massive investment, both in money, but also time. There's so much at risk, like hiring the right, uh, like CTO or CIO, especially if you're going through a digital transition, it's, you also be like, okay, if we're going to go and we're going to transition our whole company to Salesforce, you might be looking for someone that has already transitioned a company to Salesforce because you know, they, they're going to be able to handle this transition a lot smoother. Um, and so like, I think that's like when, when, when I, what I'm taking away from you, that is like, you have to be able to, to communicate that really, really well, especially through your LinkedIn or even the relationships that you have. So that when the recruiter does come, when, they, when they, that, that tap in the shoulder does come, when that message does come, uh, you can show why your past performance is a good indicator of your future performance and why hiring you becomes a no brainer because you have that experience that you've already built, whether it's like the, the industry experience and so on. Like this reminds me, there's a couple of like uh, of examples. So I worked in PepsiCo and I rem and I was a regional account manager for Target. So I managed a relationship between Target and Pepsi uh, for Frito-Lay in the Southeast. And during those times, this is uh, we had a lot of strategic meetings where Target wanted to become known as grocery. So like, this is the gap they overcame. You know, people were going, uh, shopper, Target shoppers were going to Target on average uh, 24 times a year. So that's every two weeks. Walmart shoppers were going to Walmart 52 times a year, which is like once a week, right? And the difference really came down to because people would go to Walmart to do grocery shopping. And while they were there, they would buy home goods stuff or other other stuff that are higher margins. But in Target, it was backwards. People were going to Target to buy clothes and home stuff, and then they would pick up groceries when they were there. Grocery shopping is on a weekly basis. You would get in the habit of grocery shopping at least on a weekly basis. So Target identified this, and they're like, hey, we need to grow grocery. If we can grow grocery, we can increase trips. If we can increase trips, we can increase overall revenue, right? And so I remember being part of those conversations and how we as Frito-Lay – which is the fourth largest category in a grocery store, which is salty snack, which is a massive aisle, can help increase trips like to go there. And I remember that like- Let's say you want to go to a new company from there, right? And you can say, okay, I did this at PepsiCo and now I want to go to Red Bull or Monster Beverage or whoever and say, look, here's how we made this happen. Here was the problem. Here was my role in it and where I fit within the team. Here's how we created those results. And, and these are the outcomes that you might be able to expect if you were to hire me. No, exactly. But that's the point. It's funny that Target fired their C CEO and their new CEO was actually an executive from PepsiCo. He was like the second, the second person in command of, of PepsiCo. And 
they, 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 they're like, okay, we need to go grocery. This guy understands grocery. This guy understands the strategy for all the grocery stores because as PepsiCo is the number one food and beverage vendor in the United States. And, and, and his name is Brian. I forgot the guy's last name. He went in there and, and the stock really went up uh, because he transformed the grocery department in Target. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing when it all comes together. Right, like seeing that pattern of confidence. So one of the things, perhaps a nuance to the hiring process, especially at the C level, is that we're all just people, right? These are humans making these decisions. As much as we want to think a very sophisticated company is going to have amazing tools to pick the perfect human, at the end of the day, it's people, right? People make up the board. People make up the C-suite. People are making these decisions. And so if we can do exactly what you described there, where it's like, I have this pattern of accomplishment where it makes it very easy for the audience, whether that's the board or your new manager or whatever it is, to have a very high sense of confidence that you are going to be able to solve whatever their big problem is because you've done it in the past and you described it in language that made it easy for them to just say, oh yeah, of course you could do that. If you did that there, it's way harder over there. You can do this here and we'll have great confidence that we're all going to succeed. Yeah, love that. One thing that you were mentioning in the beginning, you were talking about how like, how visible you mentioned something that visibility like we need to know that 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 you're that you exist right um how important does linkedin then play a massive role when you're hiring for these big roles and how important is it as a like somebody building their career to build their personal brand so that they can get seen by these executive recruiters or even the board of directors that are in charge of hiring for these key roles yeah totally this is going to be different for everybody and at every different level for whatever your role is, you're going to want to think through what is my path of least resistance to getting where I want to be and getting in front of the right people. I think if you are new into the professional world, just having a presence on LinkedIn and then just being good about connecting with some of the folks you work with to build your network over time is a great starting point. That's going to be the folks that you're going to circle back to, you know, in the future. If you're already in the, you know, the vice president or director, or even if you're already in the C-suite, one of the biggest things that can be helpful is LinkedIn Recruiter, right, is the platform that executive search firms, recruiters in general will use. And it's an entirely separate database from the LinkedIn, you know, consumer side, something that often doesn't do people, uh, you know, justice is not having any real description around what your job is. And so when we're thinking through how to make the world aware that you exist and trying to find that very specific audience who might have an opportunity that's going to be appropriate for you, give them a way to find you. And LinkedIn is a very popular way to do it. Indeed is great. There are a whole series of other you know, platforms that you can use depending on your level and what you're looking for. But just to talk about LinkedIn, having a very specific and accurate title, right? If you're the director of data science, you should put that in there, but you should also include some description of what goes into that role beneath it. The way that we would find somebody who would have a very technical background or a very, you know, if you are an individual contributor and you use specific software or tools or systems, you got to let people know that that's what you use to do your job. And so if you just have director of data science, but you're not saying what platforms you use to do all this or any of your backend infrastructure or what you're, you know, how you're advertising based on the analytics you produce, then it's going to be really hard for these recruiters and folks trying, getting paid to find you uh, to sort through if you're just a generic, you know, director of whatever it is. 
So the short and sweet answer here is for anybody at any level, if you can just include some context that would make it easier for you or think about you know, describing your job to your mom or a nephew or a cousin or whoever that may not have context into what it is you do and how you do it, give them the courtesy of saying, all right, here's my title. Here's the company that I work for. Here's the title of my manager and my team. Here's what I do and here's how I do it. And if you're lucky enough to have good results to show, then say, here's how we performed in you know this time frame. Yeah, it's so important to have your LinkedIn updated. Your title not necessarily is enough because like titles can be really deceiving in a way, right? Like, I can say, hey, I'm a CEO because I'm, I, I founded my own company, right? And I can be like CEO, but that's not the same. I, I'm not naive enough to think that I do the same level of work that Bob Iger does at Disney, right? Like it's like massively different companies. And so that's where the, the context of, of it, how big is your department? What do you manage? How big, like if you're, if you're a CFO, like how big is the budget that you're managing, right? Like all of that, those types of context, especially if it's a private, a privately traded organization where there's a lot of data, like where, you know, don't get in trouble putting things you shouldn't put, but it's the context actually matters sometimes more than the title because the titles can be deceiving, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's very common, at least in my experience at Corn Ferry to see folks who claim they are a C whatever, right? Or a very high level role. But then when you just start asking them the basic things like, okay, great. Like you're, you know, the, you're the chief of whatever it is. Who do you report to? And then it gets a little scarier because they're like, oh, well, I report to a director. And then you're like, okay, great. Tell me about your team. You know, if you're on the C-suite, who do you manage? Like, oh, I'm an individual contributor. It's like, oh, okay, so you don't lead anybody and you report to a director, right? It becomes really scary. And it becomes one of those where it's like, wow, I've, I've called your bluff without any, you know, with it, without any hostility. But that's why we provide the context so we can qualify. And the analogy that I use a lot with my clients is thinking through as the client, or I'm sorry, as the candidate, our job is to present evidence. And the, the hiring party is going to be like the jury, right, in a courtroom. And their job is to evaluate the evidence and draw conclusions. So if we can do a good job sharing what it is that's going to help them understand and draw their own conclusion, we're doing a good job. If we're drawing the conclusion for them and telling them that I'm amazing and I'm great and there's no context behind it, eh, you're probably not going to get very far. You know, I, and I think that's where like my advice, if you're listening to this is like, don't, the title is one thing, but it's also the context. So like I've seen there's a lot where uh, Mike, you know, you know, obviously I worked at PepsiCo and a lot of my coworkers, I went to start my own business, right? Which is opening what you guys are listening to. But I have a lot of friends who were managers who then, or directors who then became vice presidents at smaller snack companies that were venture capitalist firm that then, you know, were headhunted or vice versa. Uh, if you are a, like if, if you're working for a smaller company and then you are a vice president of sales, you might go to take a demotion in a sense on title and become a director of sales at a PepsiCo. But it's because of the work that you were doing as a vice president is an amount of sales you did as a vice president for this, let's say $50 million company. That might be nothing because in PepsiCo, you're talking about billions of dollars, right? And so I think it's important to understand like Depending on if you're, if you're going from a smaller company to a big company, you, you might take a demotion in title, but not necessarily in pay or responsibilities or mm -hmm. vice versa. And imagine, imagine you're a senior manager at Walmart 
someone there might have the revenue responsibility that's twice the size of a CEO, right, at a, at a smaller company. And so that context helps you qualify and get a sense of, okay, maybe you're a senior manager, maybe the title doesn't really matter that much, but you manage a $600 million category, right? You distributed across 32 countries, right? And that's way bigger than the footprint of a lot of businesses. So they could take that senior manager role and be a C-suite or vice president person for a company that needs that specific problem solved. Yeah, it's interesting, like, because when you're in the corporate level, you get numb to those numbers and you re you undersell yourself because I was managing $300 million in sales. To your point, Ryan, like, I can go be a CEO of a, a smaller snack company that might only do $50 million in sales. And the, my responsibilities are actually very similar in the sense of the sales side that I'm managing. But look, hey, Ryan, this is awesome. Look, I would love, you know, as we wrap it up, for you to tell us a little bit more about the type of clients you work with and the type of how do you help them and how can they get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you and your services? Yeah, thank you. My core clientele, the people that I'm trying to talk to today and who I hope reach out to me are folks who are in a leadership role, ideally director, vice president, even if you're in the C-suite at a relatively large company, right? So you're in a corporate environment. The folks that I tend to have the most success with are the ones who are proactive, where six months before they want to make the transition into a new company. Usually these people have been with the same company for five or 10 or 15 years. They've been promoted a bunch of times. And the really challenging piece there is that they've been focused on their work. They've been doing their job all out for all these years, and they haven't done any of the self-promotion. They haven't built out a resume in a decade. Right? They don't even know what would be an appropriate story to tell of the thousand stories that they could tell. So what I help people do is start from, I'm ready to make a change, but I'm, I'm happily employed. I'm in a good place, but I want to make the most out of that next move. Uh, we work together to essentially establish their professional positioning. And that, that means building their resume, building their LinkedIn profile, updating their website, whatever that may be. And the thing that I really find that I'm able to help the most with is listening to their whole story, right? High school to today, their whole professional life and helping them think through both what stories are going to make sense to, to tell and also how to begin to tell a very context rich story so that you can make, you know, the people who need to be aware that you exist uh, aware. So the process starts with let's build your positioning and think through your history. Then we'll establish how do we go to market? And for everybody, this is different, right? Depending on your level, you might be applying to jobs. Depending on the level, you might also, you know, never apply to a job and you have to be reached out to. So we'll think through how do you go about getting the job done of making people aware. Then we do interview coaching to make sure that they can deliver both a good screening call to kind of get through that first layer, but then also tell nice polished stories to close the deal. And at the very end, we'll cover how to negotiate and evaluate an opportunity just to make sure that you're really not leaving money on the table. If this sounds like it's something that would be good for you, goodfitcareers.com is my website. You can reach me at ryan at goodfitcareers.com or you can send me a message on LinkedIn. Love it. Ryan, this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much. For all of you listening, if you know someone that's been in the company for 10, five years that you're like, you know, they kind of mentioned in the family dinners that, hey, ready to take the next step, um, definitely share this episode and share Ryan. Uh, information. I'm going to actually put your LinkedIn and your website here on the show notes for, for all the listeners to have access to that. Ryan, thank you so much. And for all of you listening, thank you so much and catch you guys on the next episode.